Brad, you know how I've said in the past how, for the most part, I don't care about uh, uh, like Hollywood premieres and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So my wife's always yeah. like, hey, do you want to go to Blankety Blank with me? And I'm like, eh, not really. But yeah. there was one coming up that I really wanted to go to, and my wife moved like heaven and earth in her schedule because she is in production. She had a call time yeah. at 4 a.m. the next morning Ooh. and actively had to leave a shoot that night, and she took me to the Ring of Power, or the Rings of Power <gasps> premiere for uh, Lord of the Rings thing. Yes, you know? yes, I've been and, hearing about this. Oh, Brad, I gotta tell you, they dropped some cash at this premiere, so this is the most expensive television show ever made. It's a billion dollars. Wow, a billion. A good with chunk a fee. of which is just the licensing fee. But anyway, um, so uh, I gotta tell you because you will appreciate this though. Uh, there's all these stars around. Jeff yeah. Bezos is three rows back from me. Uh, yeah. Simon Tolkien is two rows back from me. The grandson yeah. of, of Tolkien. You know, he's now I guess he's the head of the estate. I think. Uh, and the only thing I cared about before the show started, Brad, they were giving out free boxes of M and M's, not like small <laughs> little bags. <laughs> boxes bag. of M and M's. A box. Like, and Brad, all these stars, they're dressed to the nines. They don't want yeah. M&M's. You no. know who did want M&M's? The cartoonist <laughs> came in the suit that he was barely fitting in. Oh, that guy was happy to go back for sevens on the boxes of M&M's. Brad, happy as a clam. Happy as a clam. <laughs> you Seven boxes? Were you putting them in your pockets like that old Italian grandmother at the wedding, just stuffing them into the purse? Brad, you know you are in love when your wife is like, go ahead, put them in my purse. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put them in your purse. Put them in my purse. Go ahead. Just very just like, it's like resigned to that it's going to happen. Like, yes, okay, yeah. fine. Put them in. Yes, I have stuff yeah. in there that I need, but you go ahead and get your free yes. M&Ms. Yes. <laughs> I kept saying, Brad, they're for the kids. They're for the they're kids. For the She's kids. like, those are not for the kids. The kids would love those. Uh, I, I, it's so funny that you mentioned that because the one year I was nominated for an Eisner, I got to sit in the big room for the yeah. ceremony, and they were giving out little bags of specially done, they had them special printed up, Eisner M&Ms. And I swear to God, I've still got them in the in the studio. I couldn't bring myself to eat them because they were Eisner M&Ms. I, I've got them. If you look behind me on the bookshelf, uh, I've got a Godzilla uh, toy at the very top. And he's holding the Eisner M&Ms uh, that I got in 2007. Uh, I almost I, I, I almost feel like I want to dare myself to try to eat one at this point just to see if I survive the experience. No, I got to tell you, Brad, we've both been nominated for the Eisner, but w I think those M&Ms are the closest we're ever going to get. I think <laughs> I think you yeah. might want to hold on to those. And yeah. We're not going to get the statuette, but by God, you got the 10 year old. You got the 10 year old uh, <laughs> M&Ms. And on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics, I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comics documentary Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is brought to you by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave! Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We have a flurry of questions and a topic that Brad oh. and I are dying to get into at the top of the show here. Yeah. But I just want to remind everybody that you can be joining us live right now over at patreon.com slash comic lab. The Live Gab group it joins us every week for the live stream of the show. And there is yeah. a concurrent chat along the side and they are chatting away right now. And oh, the are. show is archived every week. So in case you miss it for life, love or learning, you can watch it on the archive. And Bradley J, we got a big topic to start off the show this oh. week. Big, big, big. Yeah, it's a huge one. And it's and it's something that I was saying uh, in the pre-show, we've been talking about between ourselves mm -hmm. for years. And yes. it's, it's kind of a driving 
factor in uh, how we approach our business and our cartooning uh, for the last 20 years. It's, it's a fear that we both have, and it's the fear of turning into our heroes. Oh, terrified of it. Terrified of turning. And the reason why we structure that is intentional because everyone thinks that you want to grow up to be your heroes. Yeah. You, you as a child, as a young adult, as a young cartoonist, you're like, I want to be my hero. Oh boy, look at me. I'm becoming my hero. (laughs) And we have for now, probably going on 15 years, been talking about how we don't want to turn into our hero. We're terrified of it. Terrified of turning into our heroes. And uh, it's uh, it's a it's become like Brad said it's it's a formative idea in our careers because do you remember in the movie Inside Out where certain core memories um, make like a, a a baseline of someone's personality right so there's yeah. family there's friendship there's this or that uh, this idea of being terrified of turning into our heroes is I think a core memory for Brad and I that yeah. has that we've carried now through 15, 20 years of being cartoonists online. And Brad, what's the basic idea for this for us? Well, uh, for us, you have to remember that for us, this is particularly uh, egregious because our heroes didn't want us around. <laughs> okay. And there was a wonderful documentary out there called Stripped that was uh, oh, co-created by come my friend uh, Dave Kellett and my other friend Fred Schroeder. Uh, but that, it, it, go and watch that documentary. It talks about this period of time in the early 2000s when the internet was cresting and uh, syndicated cartoonists saw people like Dave and I and a whole bunch of other people uh, that bringing our comics to people directly using the internet, not using a syndicate, not using a publisher. And there was a lot of friction there. They saw us as tearing down the buildings that they had uh, built, helped build and were living in. And we just saw ourselves as saying, hey, this is, we don't need any of that anymore. We can do it this way. And it's just as uh, valid as any other way. Uh, and I, you know, we remind people from time to time in the early days, the NCS, the national cartoonist society would not accept, uh, the membership of a professional web cartoonist. They had to prove that they were getting their money through, uh, comics. And to them, that meant a syndicate or a publisher. So for us, our heroes uh, and and us, we had a very contentious relationship, and it was it was a lot of. Uh, we, it's hard to explain to somebody who's under forty, or maybe even at this point under thirty. Uh, the print versus web flame wars that would happen online, the really vicious arguments that at this point uh, amounts to absolutely nothing. Nobody cares anymore. It's all the yeah. same thing. Uh, but our heroes didn't want us around uh, at all. Uh, and, and at the same time, they were these people that as young uh, children, Dave and I both looked up to some of them. The very people that we were uh, that we were arguing with uh, were the very same people whose work that we had idolized. Uh, yeah. So for us, it's a very special thing to not turn into our heroes. Yeah. And so with that as a background, here's the fundamental idea of why we're terrified of turning into our heroes is because everyone that we lionized or idolized when we were kids. Yeah. Um, we have since in our adult years seen that they are either intractable or incapable of staying nimble and changing yeah. and switching up their business model. 
And despite warnings 10 years ago that like, hey, you need to dip a toe into X, Y, Z, they didn't do it. And then now that things are truly falling apart on the newspaper scene, and they are, they're coming to us. I get an email. I don't know, Brad, what do you think? Every two months or so, I get an email like, hey, describe for me your business model again. And I'm like, I told you three times at at presentations at the NCS weekends and you wouldn't listen. I mean, I, there was an 80 year old Brad. I don't want to name names because he's passed on. You know, I don't make fun of the dead, but, but he. He literally oh, stood up and laughed during my speech about like yeah. how online people make a living. And yeah. I, at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I tried yeah. three NCS weekends in a row. I tried to make presentations on how you build a career online. Right. They didn't yeah. want to hear it. And uh, now, now that it's truly falling apart, I, it, it's kind of like the gra- what's that old uh, wives tale? Not the wives tale, but the parable of the grasshopper. And what's the other uh, bug? The, uh, the grasshopper and the ant. Yeah, the, the ant like the actually ant. prepared, and the, the yeah. grasshopper is like, now the syndication money's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it ain't so good anymore. Uh, yeah, and and <laughs> and I remember that uh, that that uh, story of the guy standing up and laughing at you, and it makes me mad even to this day. Uh, but uh, th- th- those were the people who were were really. Uh, even then, even in, in the year 2000, 2001, it was impossible for them to change how they were doing what they were doing, how they right. were approaching it. Right. Even for them to think about it, it was impossible. Now, in the year 2022, 20 years later, uh, it, it's it's I don't want to say it's too late for them. But uh, as we've seen, one of the one of the common threads in our conversation about Substack is that one of the things that was that we were using as a predictor for some of these folks is whether they were able to switch from a uh, uh, a publisher mindset right. to a uh, entrepreneur mindset, and that's what you really have to do to make yeah. something like Substack work. They had to become entrepreneurs, and uh, that was one of the things we were saying uh, when we had our day uh, three hundred and sixty six. Right. 366. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I said 380 before. I I still can't believe it. But anyway, that's one of the uh, ways that we used for deciding that. And so Dave and I, since day one of web comics, were terrified of getting to the point that we couldn't change, that we couldn't take a look at. And by the way, we've lived through two, if not three major upheavals in the way we do business, going from the ad supported business model to a crowdfunding supported business model was probably one of the biggest, but there, but also the shift from, uh, uh, from, What's the opposite of homogenized uh, distributed uh, websites? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's from distributed websites to a homogenized kind of social media uh, right, publishing. Right. That was another That's one that another we've big lived one, yeah. through. And, 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 and there are more to come. And we're terrified of getting caught. Flat. Also, let's just go right and throw the for the third one. Uh, vertical scroll that we've been talking about a lot. Big yep, yep. change in how people are reading our stuff. Big change, we're yeah. terrified of being caught flat-footed and not being able to adapt yeah it is my it is my greatest fear actually about my career is that i somehow get comfortable yeah because i saw that happen with my heroes they got comfortable and they stopped keeping their head on a swivel stopped paying attention to what cartoonists 10 15 20 years younger than them were doing and so even right now, right now, at this very moment, right. I'm like, oh, crap. What are these 20-year-old cartoonists doing 
on webtoons that I have not figured out yet. How are yeah. these certain cartoonists have figured out Instagram and using video? Is that right. something that I have to do, even though I don't want to do video? Um, so I'm 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 constantly asked these questions because I don't want to be the 65 year old cartoonist going, show me how you do this. I don't you know, like I know we're all going to we're going to have that moment in our lives. I yeah. know this where yeah. we have to turn to our kids and our grandkids to explain the technology of the day in the same way that we have to have them explain the slang of today. Right. Brad, yeah. that is no oh. cap. I'm telling you that you got to oh. have people explain the slap the slang to you. Uh. <laughs> bet. Listen, bet. That that means I agree. Bet. That, oh, really? That one? That one I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's a slay, Your Honor. That's a slay right there. That's just some new slang that I did not know. Um, well, well I, it, listen, it, it, it also becomes not only uh, get caught flat-footed, but it becomes also there's another part of that, and it's becoming obstinate. In other words, I can see, and, and we're seeing a yes, lot of yes. this. Oh, I see, what I you see mean. this yeah, yeah, on yeah. social media all the time when we talk about the vertical scroll. There we've I've seen not not directly to me, uh, but I see people talking about it, right? Mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. like, Well, the vertical scroll is bad because this, and the vertical scroll is bad because that. And they're they're grasping. For, for things to try to reinforce their points right. uh, on, on why the vertical scroll is no good. And really what it comes down to is I don't like it. I just don't like it. And so therefore yes. I'm not going to do about it. And it's kind of, you, you kind of hear them saying, this is the hill that I'm going to die on. I'm going to die on this hill. There's yeah. only one problem with that kind of attitude. You end up dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to die on this. Hill. You know what, Brad, this is, this is jumping gears. I'm not, I'm not done talking about uh, not wanting to be our heroes, but yeah. I want to talk real quick about the vertical scroll because yeah. you and I in conversation the other day, and uh, we're talking about vertical scroll and some people's yeah. hesitation about it. Yeah. And I had an insight that I think, is actually really helpful, which is um, getting used to the vertical scroll for all of us who grew up with horizontally oriented comics yeah. is a little bit like changing a language. Mm. And for me specifically, since Spanish was my second language, yeah, uh, the vertical scroll is like this. Do you remember how when you're first learning Spanish, the upside down question mark and upside down exclamation point at the beginning yeah. of a sentence you're like, what the hell is this? Who, why would you do this? This is weird. Yes. This is, and then as you get better and better in Spanish, you're like, this is brilliant. Yeah. This is language construction at its best. It's forecasting the mood that you're going to be tackling this sentence with. It lets you know ahead of time. This is yeah. a better construction of language. This is actually better than English the way this is done. And, and then you go, why doesn't English do this? Uh, and so that's kind of how I feel about vertical scroll. My first reaction was, this is stupid. Why are we doing it this way? Comics are meant to be horizontal. And then yeah. you see, actually, Actually, no, wait a minute. There's actually really good benefits to doing it vertically. And I, I'm, you embrace it, right? You start to come around on it. Yeah. And so in conversation that day, I just found that to be a helpful insight that it, it is a little bit like just breaking out of the obstinacy of the new, you know, where you're like, I don't want this. This, I don't like this. This is different. And yeah. I, and therefore yeah. it is bad. Uh, very often just getting past that point, you'll be like, oh, actually, you know, there's a lot of validity to the way this is structured. Yeah. And, and uh, so that brings me to my question, Dave Kellett, now that I've mentioned uh, hills and dying, is yeah. there a hill that you're worried about dying on? Or oh, is yeah. there a hill? You yeah. know what I mean? Is yeah. there, is yeah, there yeah, something yeah. coming up that you're worried you're just not going to be able to swing with? Can I tell you uh, the, the, the fear, not the fear, I don't know how to describe this, but I, here's how I think I could get really tripped up, really tripped up. So our careers came about with the reverse of consolidation. So all of the traditional systems were breaking apart and everything got atomized. And so a lot of individual independent careers got started online that you could own and control your own business 
And that was the way to do it, right? And so in the years since, we have figured out T-shirts. We have figured out books. Yeah. We figured out yeah. magnets and, and prints. And, and we figured out Patreon. We figured out Kickstarter. We figured, we figured out ads. We figured out all that stuff one, on, one by one because uh, we were in control of our business. But the thing that I do fear that is a hill that I might accidentally die on is not seeing in far enough advance that the industry has reconsolidated under two or three umbrellas and I miss the boat. And I'm yeah. a little bit afraid that that's what might happen with webtoons if I'm not yeah. careful, because uh, I'm just being honest here. The pe people do not use the web or RSS or email in the same way that they did 10 years ago. And yeah. People, younger teens and 20s seem to be finding their comics through Webtoons or Tapas or Tapasic or whatever, you know, whatever have you, that kind of a service again. And I don't want to be caught flat footed under yeah. reconsolidation. I'll tell you the hill that I'm scared that I might just end up dying on. And see, yours is being caught flat footed, like not seeing the, the bullet as it's coming. Yeah. Mine is the obstinate one. Uh, I, cause I, I try as I might, I don't think I can swing with this that I see on the horizon and it might end up being the hill that I die on. Uh, and I might end up, end up being dead on a hill as a result. <laughs> it's, it's, it's artificial intelligence, art and artificial intelligence writing. Yeah. And yeah. there's been a lot of talk about it. If you go to the comic lab disc discord server, there's a lot of talk about it right now. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, take the, uh, it, like the, especially the AI art where, uh, you know, there are some, uh, copyright, uh, concerns. There's some intellectual property sure. concerns, sure. uh, in that this stuff isn't coming from nowhere. No, <laughs> it's coming it's, from somewhere. The only it's, way AI can create is to have a feeder source. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. So, yes. Yeah. And there, there are some, some unmistakable, uh, uh, moral choices in my opinion to be made there. But even beyond that, the, the whole idea of AI art and AI writing, uh, is, is I, I can, I can, I can go right along with everything. I can, I, I, I you've heard me talk about any number of things using photo reference. We've talked right. about, right. we've talked about, uh, using 3d models in CSP. We've talked about a lot of stuff. I can swing with all of it. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, using artificial intelligence might end up being my hill. And it's not that I don't see it's coming. I just, I don't think I can swing with it. Yeah. I, so I would like to propose to you that we put, um, a pin, not a pin in this, but because I, I do want to talk about this right now. But yeah. I think in the future, let's take a couple of weeks and think about this and do a whole show about AI art, because okay. I agree with you that this could become one of the biggest stories in all of art creation. Yeah. And it's the same for those of us that lived through automation in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. You know, first it was like, oh, well, uh, manufacturing jobs, a robot yeah. can't build a car. And then right. you figured out, well, a robot can build like 60% of a car. And that's an yeah. awful lot of jobs it could get rid of. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, are always going to need secretaries. You can't get rid of a secretary pool. And then you're like, no, word processing is pretty good. And now yeah. you can get rid of all the secretaries, you know. And so all the jobs that you thought were permanent, even the kind of thing of like um, local lawyer that does wills. It's like, well, no, now we got software that can modify to most of the 50 states and, right. and this big company can sell you 
you a will or sell you an estate trust or something. That's pretty good. It's 80% there if you want it, um, you know, yeah. like for 50 bucks. So what I'm getting at is a lot of industries were like, well, our industry can't be impacted by by uh, automation or artificial, in this case, artificial intelligence. We're fine. There's no way you could replace an artist. I'm increasingly thinking you could replace an artist with AI. Uh, I, and- I so disagree. <laughs> I so, see, I, I disagree vehemently. Uh, and yet you're is- afraid of being caught flat footed on it, though. Oh, no, I no, I'm not. I'm not flat footed at all. I'm obstinate. I'm the I'm the other one. I am. Ob- I put my foot down creation. The the whole act of creation. Uh, I, I you you. OK, I here's, see here's, here's I see where all I of this stuff on AI art, which is, oh, look, I got an image. Yeah, you got an image. Did you get the right image? Is it a good yeah. image? Is no, it no. The, it, I agree with you. I agree with you. What here's here's well, you know what? Shit. I was going to put it off for a couple of weeks. Let's talk about it this week. Who cares? This is fun. Uh, so here is my take on AI art making is that what's going to happen, Brad, is that yeah. in the same way that Taco Bell is not real food, but it, it gets you it gets you past the, the afternoon hunger pains for two bucks. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. AI art is not true art, but there will be a lot of situations where a local company just needs advertising or, uh, you know, a car dealership just needs a little bit of pop to to put on their poster or whatever and they're going to use ai art because it's cheaper than hiring a human even at a yeah. fiber you know rate you know that kind of thing so uh i think much like automation in factories where a robot can't build the whole car but a robot could build 40 to 60 percent of the car you're going to have a lot of uses for ai art where yeah. brad geiger can't figure out um, how to do the layout for this page, but you're going to turn on your AI and your Adobe platform. And you're going to say, give me 40 different layouts that I could do this page where panel two is the biggest you know, layout and it's got a splash feel to it. And then Adobe AI will spit out 40 pages for you real quick. And you'll go, Oh, that one's pretty good. I'll do that one. And yeah. so then you'll iterate on it, but you used AI as a tool in the process. That's what I think is going to happen with yeah, AI. I know. And I hate everything about what you just said. I, hate, I know, but I think hate, about it though. It's no different I mean, than Vermeer using a using a visual machine to try to capture the world with painting. I know, I know. I, I, I logically I know that, and I and I see people. Let's go over to AI writing, and they're like, uh, you know, somebody uh, pointed out on the Discord server, right? This 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 computer wrote a joke, and it's a good joke. And people are like, yeah, maybe I'll use that for my writing. And I'm sitting there pulling my hair out, saying. I, because if if here's the thing that I'm worried about, here's my worry that I'll share with you, especially yeah, okay. and 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 I'm on my journey as a writer. I'm not like the perfect writer that I'm saying I'm I'm sitting on top of the hill here. Uh, but if it to to a, to a person who's trying to learn to become a better writer who looks at this as a tool to help them get better, right? Uh, it's the same way as somebody in school trying to convince me that if I do their algebra homework for them, they're going to learn math. Well, no, I just did your homework for you. You've got the finished homework, but you can't do math. And, and the, it, it, if it, it, I get really scared when I hear people about using this as a writing tool because you're not learning about writing. Well, this is where I will differ with you. And I, there is an argument to be made of like, well, is there a soul in the machine that can truly create? Yeah. And I would argue that one of the reasons why I'm a little bit anxious about AI art making is that sheer brute force can actually be really close to mimicry of soul in the machine. 
So if you put in the complete works of Shakespeare, Tennyson, Milton, uh, you know, Hitchcock, every, every, you put in literally hundreds of thousands of artists into a cloud system that a computer can, can access, right? Mm -hmm. And you tell it to synthesize all of those 1 million samples, you'll get something that feels like genuine creativity, even though it is not creativity. We know that it's iterative of all mm -hmm. the input that's been put into it. You know what I mean? Like, because there's so many uh, in inputs that, that the sheer synthesis of all those will feel like creativity to us you know yeah because the hero's journey there's only really a couple hundred different ways you can do the hero's journey and so right. if you plug in the complete works of shakespeare of tennyson of milton of alfred hitchcock of you know uh, all these different filmmakers you're gonna get a, and, and then say but base it all in a colony of birds and you'll get a whole wonderful kids movie on a hero's journey based on birds that synthesizes a bunch of stuff from oh. a, you know artists from history yeah, I I know, I know. Like and, sheer and, brute computing force will make that feel creative, even though it's iterative is what I'm saying. I know, I I, I, I totally get everything you said. And and, and again, I, I this is where my obstinance comes in. I yeah. hate every word you just oh, said. Oh no, don't get me wrong, I hate it. I hate yeah. the idea that yeah. we could be replaced on some level in the same way that chefs are somewhat replaced by Taco Bell for cheap, easy, yeah. quick, you know, quote unquote food. Uh, there's going to be cheap, easy, quick, quote unquote, comics that AI makes for like, uh, you know, employee instruction manuals or a train station in Tokyo. And they didn't want to pay for an artist. So they just had an AI do it, you know, because all you need is a stick figure to show. Don't go through this door if the if the sounds are blaring, you know, and so the Tokyo yeah. train system hires this AI system. It produces a little comic for them. No human was involved. Bada bing, bada boom. You know, that's going to happen. That is 100 percent going to happen. I'm scared of AI art and writing ex probably, probably exactly the same way that syndicated cartoonists were scared of us. Oh, interesting. Okay, expand and and on that. And there's expand a on that, expand on that. There's a real parallel there. They took a look at us as being not, uh, not official, not valid. Right. Uh, they, uh, it was a cheapening of the art form yes. because in their day, only certain people could be syndicated cartoonists. The gates were kept. And yeah. all of a sudden, everybody could be a cartoonist, right? Right, right. Uh, there, there was a lack of the specialness, the lack of the <gasps> Brad, validation. Yes. The lack am, of, yeah. I, I am, when you talk about being scared of turning into your heroes, I feel my arteries hardening at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. I feel the, 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 the congealing of my, of, of, of yeah. everything that I hold dear. I feel the same fear that I think they felt. And in the same way that they were not going to change, I'm scared. Well, no, I'll tell you, I, what, what am I going to fool you? You've been listening to the show for the last 26 minutes. I ain't going to change. You will. You will. You know why? Because you know why? Because the mere act of doing this show and yeah. and the, the weekly conversations that you and I have, we keep our heads on a swivel. Yeah. And we will. Oh God, I hope this is again. This is my fear coming through together and with the community. I'm not kidding about this. I, I have to I have to pump myself up because what else can you do? Yeah. If we, if we stay involved in the community and we keep doing shows and we're involved in forums and we're talking to each other and we're doing a weekly podcast, there's no way that we can't see major trends coming in the same way that 
I don't know, five, six years ago, no, more than that, Kevin McShane, our friend over at BuzzFeed, was like, yeah. Dave, mobile computing is taking over the Asian market. Yes. You have to switch your your yeah. desktop to a mobile system. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. you know, but he was right. And and had I been paying attention, had I kept my head on a swivel, I would have adapted my website long ago, as you did. So what yeah. I'm saying is we'll see it coming, Brad. We'll see it coming. It's just a matter of can we force one another to make the changes and adapt as it comes? And that's what I'm terrified of. I am terrified yeah. of that. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think our hill is coming. Uh, the only question is <laughs> the only question that's going to be left up to us is, are we going to die on it? Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you kind of a broad question, because I'm sort of curious to see what your reaction to this will be. What yeah. will be the end of your career? Ah, uh, what do you mean? Like, uh, yeah, OK, uh, you're not dead. Uh, you still have 10 more years of work to do in your heart. Yeah. But what could it be that could end your career? Well, I mean, I, 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 I might not understand what you're getting at. So I'm just going to give you what the, my okay. first, this uh, me, comes me, out me, of my mouth. Yeah. Answer, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Here's my answer. The end of my career is nobody's interested in what I'm doing anymore. And I've yeah. got to find something else to do. That's, okay. That's the end of my career. I'm putting comics out. And nobody's reading them. I'm putting books out. And nobody's buying them. Uh, you know, uh, all, yeah. my crowdfunding is down to zero. It's time to face facts. Uh, nobody's looking for Brad Geiger no more. And it's time for him to find something else to do. That's the end of my career. Oh, God. Oh, it's too real. All right. You, you got too real. <laughs> I mean, was, was there supposed to be another answer? No, I mean, in a way, that was the best answer because uh, here's, here's where I was getting at. And I think you actually answered it in the, in the perfect way because provided people are still reading you, Provided yeah. you're, they still want your books, provided yeah. they're still willing to support you creating those things, you'll figure out a way to make that work. It may not yeah. be Patreon. It might not even exist 10 years from now. It may not be Kickstarter. That might not even exist from now. It might not be books anymore because the physical act of printing books, who knows, maybe uh, we'll reach a certain level of drought where they'll be like, no more tree cutting, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and so uh, maybe, maybe books will be off the table. Uh, what I'm getting at is if you still have a willing audience though, Brad, I, I know, or at the very least, gosh, I hope that you'll be able to pivot enough to make it work. We're, we're going to, you and I, as we enter our uh, golden ages, our golden years, uh, you and I are going to be living out. And the rest of us uh, listening to this podcast, by the way, you're in this together uh, with us. Uh, we're going to be living out a real world scenario of John Henry. Remember the old fable of John Henry? Who, who he was, uh, it was a, uh, a steel driving man and they put him up against a machine and his whole thing was, he was pro- trying to prove that a man can work as much as a machine. You don't remember. Yeah. I'm getting a no, blank I do stare remember John Henry. He did it, but then he dropped dead. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, We're about much. to drop dead. <laughs> Great. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the, thanks yeah. for the, the parable gonna, of John but, Henry, Brad. I'm going to drive are, my steel in and then drop dead. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think our lives, I think our, I think this next phase of our lives is going to be proving a John Henry axiom. Not, not, not only that, that, that uh, it's not going to, it's not going to be, is AI good enough? It's going to be, can we keep up with AI? Um, did you ever see the movie? I think it was either she or her. I forget what the title was where, um, the guy falls in love with the AI, um, uh, oh, I did not see it, but I'm familiar anyway, with it. So I, I, I just want to talk about one brief thing because it's an interesting idea in a world of ever increasing automation where every phone line you call is an AI to answer for, for your car dealership, 
or for every business that you interact with, it's actually not a human, it's an AI you're, you're emailing with. Uh, for every, or, you know, your, your business planner is now an AI, it's not longer a human. Your lawyer is an AI thing producing documents for you, it's no longer human. In yeah. a world like that, which is very possible 15, 20 years from now, in a world like that, I could actually see it where art remains one of the few things where people are like, you know what, I would like a human touch. Yeah. I would like this to be created by a human because there's a there's a whole business in I forget the title. It's either she or her where he basically creates handwritten human written notes, not AI yeah. written notes for other humans. And so I can see that the artifice might be one of the last things to go for humanity with automation where they're like, no, I would still like this to be from human hands, the craft involved. And when you say that. I am immediately taken back to 1995, standing in the newsroom of the repository in Canton, Ohio. Uh, it might might have been later than 95, but go with me. As an editor looked me in the eye and said, forget about this internet stuff. People are always going to want to hold a newspaper in their oh, hand. Damn you. Damn you, Brad. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And also, they were so, and I, and I saw it in editor after editor, newspaper after newspaper. They all told me the same thing. They're always going to want to hold that newspaper in their hand. God damn it. I mean, what immediately dated that story in terms of like, well, you knew they were doomed is that the title of the newspaper was called the repository. <laughs> oh, that's like I, trying to keep a car business alive. That's called Oldsmobile. I'm mean, like, there's there a reason why GM had to get rid of it. It's like, you want to try the new car from Oldsmobile? Oldsmobile. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. What is this marketing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The repository. I mean, yes, you're right, Brad. You're right. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, I mean, as much as I'd love to be swaddled and cuddled into those words that you just said about uh, people are always going to want the human touch in art. As you're saying that, I'm hearing that editors saying they're always going to want to hold a newspaper in their hand. Well, if you remember in the same comparison of like why Taco Bell exists, even though it's not quote unquote food, I think that kind of art will a thousand percent replace us. Yeah. When people need cheap, quick, easy art that they don't want to pay for a human, they're going to hire an AI company to spit <laughs> something out for 50 bucks. But no, nobody gets asked to work for free as much as artists. Everything that artists do, they consider sure. to be So quick, imagine cheap, a company that comes along and goes, all right, yes, I'll do it for damn near free. You know, yeah. 20 bucks. It's, it's no processing time and I'll spit out an image for you. And, uh, and, and, it, and it's the same thing that was the doom of the photographers, because I remember talking to photographers, speaking of my days in newspapers. That's what killed photographers is because they could go and shoot a news story and they did it in, you know, they did it in a wonderful professional way. And when the iPhone came around, they just handed an iPhone to a reporter and said, Hey, while you're there, get a cute, a few snapshots of the, uh, of the news uh, event. And the editors, the people in decision-making uh, capabilities could not discern a quality difference between the professionally shot photojournalism and a snapshot that the reporter, uh, you could, if you, if you knew visuals, you could see a world of difference between the two sure. but for the editors. It was a photo. We got a photo. Yeah. We need a photo to run with the story. Now we got a photo. It's got the guy's face. It's in focus done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, that's the hill that we're going to end up dying on. <laughs> Oh my God! You were oh. really broken right there. That's I really am. I really. I feel. Steam. I feel like John Henry. Microphone. You're like, oh, that's the hell we're gonna die. On. Yeah, yeah. I feel like John Henry. I'm up against. A, I'm up against a, a drill that's just gonna keep on drilling and drilling and drilling, and and sooner or later, I'm gonna get tired and fall over. 
I did not expect at the beginning of this conversation to to see that the end result of us being terrified to become our heroes was because the android from Aliens was the one that's going to replace us. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and not uh, only that, but uh, us being terrified of becoming our heroes, leading to a realization that we've already become our heroes, leading to a realization, realization that if I could right now make a, choose, a choice, I could right now make a choice to say, I love AI art and I love AI writing and I'm going to grasp it with both hands and I cannot bring myself to do that. Yeah. Right. So right. this whole, we're scared of becoming our heroes and we've done such a good job of for, for 20 years and that patting ourselves on the back. And yeah. here I am that with, with the, with the, with, with the, with the chalice being handed to me, here's your chance to not be your hero. Take a big swig of AI art and I don't want it. Yeah. Well, because this is a fundamental difference. You taking a big swig out of the chalice of AI art means you giving up 40 to 60% of your creative process, you know, yeah. and, and my so, identity. Yeah. Your identity. And so that feels very different to me than, Oh, I have to change my business model, but maybe we're following into the same trap of, yep. of like, I'm unwilling to change. In this case, it's I'm unwilling to change my art process. I mean, okay, listen, I'm going to be honest about this. Yeah. If AI can present me with a bunch of different layout possibilities for a page, I might use that. I might say, okay, thanks AI for these 40 options. I immediately can, my, because of my discerning artist's eye, I can immediately discount 30 of them, right? So now I've got 10 left. Five of those don't fit the aesthetic that I want to do, so now I've got five left. And then uh, really only two or three um, capture the mood that I want to present in this page. So now I'll select from these three, and then I'm still using my editorial eye to select from what AI presents me, right? Mm -hmm. But I get it that what you're saying is, yeah, but you've been removed from that process and it's gutting. It's gutting to be removed from that process. Yeah. Like that whole that whole chunk of creativity is now like, uh, you know, uh, Windows 95 can now do that. Great. Thanks. All right. Wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate this world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just it, it 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 takes a lot of the joy out, too. And, and it also takes the soul out. And, and as everything that you're saying about AI art, I can kind of almost get myself to go along with. Then you bring in AI writing and I just throw my hands up <laughs> you know, that, and that, that, that part terrifies me. Why? Okay. Well, I know we're, we're running late on the first half of the show, but let's continue yeah. this for one second. Why does yeah. that terrify you? Is it, uh, I think that has more to do with the presence of um, human seeming AI in the world than you're willing to, to admit. Don't you think? Well, no, not, not only that, but it, it, again, it comes down to that John Henry analogy. It becomes now as a comics artist, we, we are, uh, the, our competition, if you will, are, uh, is an AI that can spit out a comic every hour. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas it takes us time. Like I'm, I'm going into a writing session right now. Uh, this week was supposed to be writing and I haven't, I've gotten precious little done. Uh, right now I'm supposed to be, you know, this is going to be writing to, uh, this week and next week. It takes me a long time to write. If, if I want to write something good, uh, conceivably we're going to be up against a, uh, uh, our competitor who can put one of these things out every hour and, and yeah. can dominate social media. And, uh, and, and how do you keep up with that? You, you almost 
now become like the equivalent of that artisanal soap maker. They're yes. not going to be on the uh, same uh, <laughs> level as Palmolive uh, yeah. uh, Colgate, yeah. but 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 they they've got their soap uh, that that you can only find their soap with the little you know branches and twigs inside of it. Yeah, uh, we become that. Uh, yeah, I mean, if 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 an audience. If an audience's desire for art is a raging fire, you and I will be coming at it with a squirt gun and AI yeah. will be coming at it with a fire hose of content, right. you know? And yeah, I, <laughs> I see what you mean because it's also uh, that art, God damn it, the artisanal soap maker got me. That broke me for some reason. <laughs> Fuck, that is what we're going to become. We're going to become artisanal soap makers. Yeah. And and we're, our whole sales pitch is going, is quite, possibly going to become and by the way this is not do you like artisanal uh, soaps <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. our marketing pitch it's going to be the same thing but no 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 i mean it's going to be the same thing do, do, we're going to be emphasizing the fact that it's made by a human it's still made by human hands yeah. it's we're, everything that you see in artisanal uh marketing it's going to be us and this is why it's not going to work marketing works Sales work because of how they make you feel, not because of features. And yeah. if, if you're trying to sell art based on made by a human, people are going to be like, I don't give a shit. Who that cares? AI art made me laugh more. That AI art was more entertaining. Yeah. That was a better version of an Avengers movie by AI, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. It's the same. It's the same reason we tell people not to not to say, hey, read my comic. It updates Tuesdays and Thursdays. Well, nobody in the history of comics has ever gone out in the world saying, I really hope today I find a comic that updates Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> it's the wrong marketing pitch. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because, and right. by the way, I know you've got a note. We're going to talk, I think, maybe next week. Uh, we've got a lot to say about marketing and the emotions of marketing. Yeah. And so. Come back. I think we're, we're probably planning on doing that next week. Yep. We've yep, got yep, yep. so much to talk about in that regard. Because right now, AI is stumbling and it's halting and it's self-revealing. Like you look at AI produced art, you look at AI produced writing for the most part, and you go, oh, that's clearly done by AI. I can see I can see how it's basically a, um, what do they call it when things are mashed together? There's that art form that's oh, of things yeah, mashed yeah, together. Yeah, like uh, a mashup. Like uh, the, they use it in video games a lot to do kind of uh, animatics. Anyway, you can very clearly tell that it's a mashup of four different styles and you see what the AI did and you're like, all right, I see you, AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, remember, we're just at the first iteration of this happening five years from now 10 years from now when we're on version 9.8 it's going to be amazing and you're not going to be able to tell and as soon as you can't be able to tell that's when we're kind of done for because then it's just a volume issue then you just mm -hmm. run the processors longer and it's producing more work you know and and brad's right we're not going to be able to keep up with that oh, shit brad <laughs> well back to secretarial work for me i guess yeah yeah, I, uh, I at that I, point, I, we have to hope that universal basic income is instituted because we're all going to be out of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. There's going to be a lot of us in trouble. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I think this is a, this has been I, I'm surprised we ended up on this topic because we didn't plan it. But I think there's enough here here where we jump back in on this topic six months from now or so, because yes. Oh, it's yeah. worth keeping an eye on how, how this is going to advance. This could, you're right. I did not go into this morning feeling terrible about my future, but now I have this existential dread and I thank you for it, Brad. And it's existential <laughs> indeed. Yeah, it is. Ah. Uh... 
Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Well, Brad, on that note of fiddling while Rome burns and we're all slowly replaced <laughs> by AI and, and yeah. all becomes ash and woe. Uh, so let's move on to another question coming in from patreon.com slash comic lab. This comes yeah. in from Ryan and says, I've been wondering if our awesome art uncles, Brad and Dave, were starting out today. Is there a lead platform that you would use to guide all of your story choice, storytelling choices now and then cut or reformat to the rest of the platform? And then Ryan goes on as an animator that's had that's had to create work that will eventually live in both broadcast and film formats. I'm used to about thinking about things like center cut and pillar boxing. So I'm wondering if there's a similar best practice for web comic artists. So, Brad, just for the folks that might not be aware, can you describe what what Ryan is describing there in terms of, of, of having a cut that's kind of, kind of could work for different formatted screens? What does that mean? Yeah. Well, he might he might be talking about like making your background bigger so that it can be cropped different ways or keeping your word balloons separate uh, so that they can be slid around or reformatted uh, or replaced or uh, disappeared uh, entirely. Right. Uh, So in other words, he's talking about uh, keeping a certain amount of flexibility in your image so that you can make it work over a number of different platforms. Yeah. And so for for people that are familiar with TV, what that means is there's a matter like if you're filming an IMAX, this is beautiful, big, gigantic format. Right. But you also uh, if you're if you're doing IMAX right, you're anticipating yeah. that at some point in its life, it's going to have to be cut down to 1920 by 1080 or right. some version of that if it's 4K. Uh, and so that ratio, you're shooting big and wide. But like Batman was also shot so that if you had to crop it in, you still get the core action of Batman on the motorcycle in the tunnel, you know, as he ejects from his Batmobile. Right. And so it's shot for IMAX, but it's also ready to go for to be cropped down. And that's kind of what Ryan's asking for here is, Brad, you could create for Webtoons. You could create for a graphic novel. You could create for a vertical scroll in general. You could create for a, a, a horizontal orientation. Which one would you lead off with, Brad? And then modify everything else around that. The question is, is there a dominant platform? And the answer is unequivocally, as of today, unequivocally, it's there is a dominant, unequivocally, (laughs) it's it's unquestionably. (laughs) I love one of my favorite things, because I do it, too, when my kids call me on it. When you say a word two or three times and then you're like, wait, I'm just going to Elmer Fudd this and switch up the words. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. It's the Porky Prig approach. Uh, There is unquestionably a dominant platform, at least at this point in time. And it is the book. The book is the dominant platform. And I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. The book is where the money is. Yes. Unquestionably. 
Uh, the book is where the Kickstarter is. The book is where the a lot of the Patreon uh, goals uh, are in terms of, uh, again, you never give Kickstarter rewards to Patreon backers, but getting them a reward of getting an early access to the Kickstarter backer is uh, a, a significant thing. The book is the most important thing. That's right. where a lot of the money is being made. So that's got to be dominant. Uh, that's got to be uh, everything that you've got to do has got to have the book as the number one thing. Now, before you start shouting vertical scroll at me, uh, keep in mind that that dominant platform has to live in balance with the other platforms, right? So it's got to, it's got to, the book has got to be dominant, but it's got to be able to be sliced down into a vertical scroll. Okay. And it's got to be able to be uh, updated online in significant updates. Again, yes. I think we make a really big mistake when we just knee jerk response, put a page of our graphic novel onto the web. I, unless you're really, really planning that page to be a significant update, thinking in terms of pages instead of thinking in terms of updates, I think is a mistake, right? Yeah. You've got yeah. to make sure that that update is significant. Uh, so sometimes that, that means you might post a half of a page. Sometimes a significant update is two pages, right? right? So just knee jerking it out and, and, and getting that page up there. I think you're not putting enough thought into it. Now, everything that, the, that Ryan talks about in terms of like maybe making bigger backgrounds or keeping your word balloons separate so that they can be, uh, re, uh, composed, mm -hmm. like especially something like that would be very, very useful in a vertical scroll webtoon style, because very often you see that the word balloons float above and below the panels. Uh, so that would be very, very useful to do. Uh, my advice to you is to do that sort of stuff, uh, remembering that your book is the dominant platform, but do that sort of stuff to the extent that you can easily fit it into your overall workflow. I right. think there's a little bit of a danger uh, it, it going too far the other way where you're putting all of this effort into making this thing that can be almost infinitely recropped and repositioned and do this and do that. Uh, and, and you're running out of time to actually do the work or you're putting so much time into this nuts and bolts stuff that you're not putting enough time into the writing uh, or or the or the making good comics part. Mm -hmm. So uh, I my answer to this is the book is number one. It's the boss, and to do those other things to the extent that you can easily fit them into your process. Dave, what do you think? I think you're right, and I I, I think it's worth admitting right up front that this is harder than when we were coming up where we were all oh, just yeah. working for the page or just working for yeah. the comic strip or working for with a graphic novel. You knew what the outlet was. You knew what the medium was. You knew what you had to get better at doing. And now you're like, okay, yeah. Okay, Brad, I hear you. I'm making the book, but I guess I'm also juggling these seven balls off to the side. So it also <laughs> works on webtoons. <laughs> yeah. I just want to admit for all of us, it is harder. But yeah. once you establish some basic ground rules in your structuring, I think it's actually somewhat manageable. And Brad was, was talking about this as well, is that once you realize that long horizontal panels aren't ideal for a vertical scroll, you can mm -hmm. do one of two things. You can move away from a horizontal panel. I've done that yep. largely with Drive. I, I used to use those a lot more. 
or you can mentally slice up your uh, long horizontal panel such that when it comes time to bring it into Webtoons, you have two or three chunks that you can remove or sort of excise from that large panel so that they yep. stand alone. Or you can do the thing, and I use this very frequently too, where you take a long horizontal panel and you introduce artificial slices in the panel. So now it's a three panel comic, but with yep. art flowing across all three panels, um, uh, same uh, final feeling for uh, the the presentation on the page on in a graphic novel or in a book, but now you've just introduced a tiny little element of of time slices, and so it could mm -hmm. still work vertically, right? Uh, yeah. Other things you can do to just make your life easier. Brad and I have talked about this before. Avoid diagonal or slicing uh, uh, panel um, breaks. Um, yep. Try to keep them pretty squarish, rectangulish. Uh, you know, um, the trickier the the sort of rule of thumb is the trickier that the uh, the artistry is on the on the panel break, the tougher yeah. it is it's going to be to present that well in a vertical scroll. Yeah, and the you yeah, the word you're looking for is gutter. <laughs> God, Instead yeah, geez, Louise, my yeah. brain could yeah. not. <laughs> Yeah, I saw you struggling with that. Yeah, yeah. The word, like diagonal. That's like you trying or, to say unequivocally. That was great. It was yeah. just, <laughs> we're both we're both a, a little bit looped from that first half. Hey, we're, gang, we're, tune, we're tune in next reeling. week when the AI hosts are here. And yeah. they're, yeah. hello, I am oh. David. I am Brad. We are here to host the show. Dave, that's our takeaway. That's one thing they can't do that we can is they can't make fools of ourselves here on the podcast <laughs> you gotta you can't get some ai to do that i, I gotta tell you brad if you fed an ai enough data points from my life i think they could replicate what an asshat i can be sometimes i think they could i think they <laughs> no, could replicate I, that i think it only takes a person like you to be that big of an asshat oh, i think you. i think you, know you what, own Brad? that you know how to get me in the heart that's great thank you uh but no i think i think that is uh i think that is uh, for me at least that's the answer is the dominant platform and uh, the only I, and again i i caution you against getting too involved in making this thing ultra reworkable uh, because again, those things are only going to have a, a small return on investment for the amount of time that you're going to put into it. Right. So uh, keep yourself on a, on a little bit of a leash there. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'll tell you why I say that uh, for years and I'm telling years, maybe 10 years, uh, I was convinced that uh, I was giving myself a big advantage with my comic and you're, you, you, I bet you know where I'm going to go with this. I would take my comic strip and I would take it apart and then I would reconfigure it into a graphic novel when I was getting ready to do the books. Right. So instead right. of it being a comic strip I collection, that. I would take all those panels and some of them I would enlarge, some of them I would shrink, I'd put them here and I would, I would emulate a graphic novel page layout for my books. Right. I was convinced that this was a better presentation. Uh, it took me three times as long to lay out a book because let's face it, laying out a book of comic strips, your first step is just going into image catalog uh, script in InDesign and going, here's the strips, put them on the page. I guess, I guess in that regard, I was using AI long before it was uh, popular. <laughs> well, and I will say this as someone who, who owns and loves those books. 
Yeah. Even even with the best of intention, because he was coming from comic strip to graphic novel, sometimes yep. it landed on the wrong emphasis. You know, you'd have yep. like yep. It, it would you, you you would mid page you'd have a big hit, then you'd be like, well, that's weird. Then the page kind of ends on a weird yeah. denouement, and then the next page would you know oh. it just didn't flow quite right. If you know what I mean, and I don't say it that was... in a hurtful way because you've since found uh, a much better way of doing it. I think. Oh yeah, but it but it was it, but I was convinced, and it, and it was it took a lot of work. And I was sold on it. You couldn't tell me otherwise. Believe me, people have tried. I remember Scott saying, is this worth the amount of work you're putting into it? Uh, and, and this is uh, this is Scott Kurtz uh, and, and somebody whose whose opinion I really respect. And he, he just flat out said one time, is this worth the amount of work you're putting into it? I was convinced it was. Uh, I, uh, the truth was I was getting a very low return on investment in terms of that time. And so when I see something like this, when you're talking about making extra big backgrounds and you're talking about, you know, keep mm -hmm. uh, the word balloons on a separate layer, I could kind of understand. I don't know that that would fit into my process because I leave Clip Studio and go into Photoshop for the coloring. And at that point, a lot of that stuff gets flattened down. Uh, I don't know that that I'm, I'm trying to think if, if there's a way that I could fit that in. I don't know what it is, but I know that that my process is not like a universal process. Right. So I'm throwing that out there. If that if that works for you to be able to put those word balloons on separately on a separate layer and keep them uh, in a place where they can be moved around when you do the vertical scroll, that sounds like it would be a very good idea. It means that a little bit of extra work in that, like right now, uh, you're not you're not drawing the background that the. Uh, word balloons cover up. You're not coloring the background that the word balloons cover up. And if you're going to uh, go to something like that, it's going to, you got to understand that it's going to mean a certain amount of extra work for you to do just, just on a, on a pragmatic basis. Uh, so I, I think it's a good idea. I think it's something that if you wanted to, you could do it a little bit. I, I just don't want you to get so caught up in it. Like you, that like I was that I did that for nine books, eight or not. Yeah. Nine books. That's nine years easily uh, a book a year. Uh, and, and I couldn't see the forest for the trees. So yeah. I guess my caution comes from that life experience that I lived. Be a little bit careful that you're actually getting good ROI. So let's assume now that you're you're designing for the book first. And I want to talk about uh, the changing world ahead of us in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I still think regardless of what digital formats or or presentational technologies come along, that the book is kind of going to be a universal for at least another couple hundred years. And I'll tell you why it it helps a brain process information when it can be broken down into individuated pages. In the same way that acts are helpful, chapters are helpful, pages will kind of still be helpful 100 years from now, even if all of our data has gone to a complete vertical scroll, right? Where, where um, like, I, I do think now actually vertical scroll is with us to stay for a good long while until yeah. a oh, presentational yeah. technology comes along that either... Uh, keeps your eye in stasis and the objects fade in and fade out at the same location. We've talked about that before. Or mm. until some weird technology comes along that would require a horizontal scroll. And I can't imagine one that would require or that would make everyone wholesale across the planet change from vertical to horizontal. I don't see yeah. it yet. It might exist. Maybe the human eye in holographic form does better horizontally. I don't know. We know no, nobody knows that yet. What I'm getting yeah. at is I think we're stuck with the book and I think we're stuck with vertical scroll at this point. And so I think to Brad's point, designing for the book 
but very much keeping in mind vertical scroll as you design the book is probably the way to go. And I think we're stuck with those two formats for at least the very, very foreseeable future. Absolutely. So, Dave, as long as we're in the question, answer and mood, let's uh, let's go on to this one that I that I really like a lot. It comes in from Michael Lynn Jones, who says, hey, Brad and Dave, just wondering how much of your own life experiences are reflected in your comics. You guys rock. Uh, thank you for that, Michael. Uh, Dave, how much of your life experience goes in your comic? That's uh, it's, uh, speaking of a very philosophical day. That's a very philosophical question. That is. And let me answer it very philosophically, actually. This is probably <laughs> this is probably more deep than you want to get. I would think that my comics are 100 percent me. Yeah. But uh, my comics only represent one percent of me. Right. Does that right. make sense? Makes perfect sense to me to keep talking like everything that's in the comics is me some way, shape or form. It's either uh, it's either um, me, Mary suing it at the at the worst or me writing the antithesis of me such that mm -hmm. I can prove a point that uh, that would I would rather people get to by by seeing the negative of it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So a character arc that does all the wrong things is still me, even though I would not do those things because it's ultimately proving the point of what I would like to, uh, the, the reader to arrive to, you know. And so I think all of the all of the comics are me. And yet. All of the comics taken together, encompassed in one big thing, still only represents 1% of who I am. Right. How about yeah. you, Brad? Same, same answer. I feel exactly the same way. Everything that you read there is me, but uh, it's so distilled, so distorted, so yeah. embellished, so evolved that you, that if you were to try to sift through it and find me, I don't think you'd be able to, right? Uh, and, and that's where... Uh, it, especially young writers get into a little bit of a, of a, of a trap because the, the one of the most popular pieces of writing advice is write what you know. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people are like, okay, I'll write what I know. Here's my mom and my dad, my brother and my husband and my wife. Uh, and they write what they know. Uh, uh, but I think the, that there, there's more to that advice than write what you know. Right. And I, in other words, it's not write what you know, the way a journalist would write it, right? With mm -hmm. it getting two confirmations for every fact and so on and so forth. It, 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 what that uh, means is to let that become an inspiration and then to take that and, and make it into something that's really entertaining and interesting. That's where we get into that conversation about autobio comics and, and why I think uh, so often there's a danger in using your life to do a comic uh, in that, uh, besides all of those problems that we've seen come up before where somebody, you know, who the comic is based on says, well, I don't act like that, or I never did that. And, right, and right, then right. You, you end up losing a friendship over it. But it's also, you get into these really weird traps. If you, if you base a comic on your life that where you end up doing an awful lot of stuff that is kind of, you had to be there material. Right. It's right. very significant to you because, you know, the context and all the all the background uh, of all of that stuff. Uh, but but to try to present that to a different person, it's kind of like eh, you had to be there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think taking that right. What, you know, advice too literally can be a problem. And 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 I if if. I would say I've got the same answer that Dave has. Everything that I write is 100% based on me, 
But, but listen, you know, you see some stuff going on in After Dark that you know darn well. <laughs> yeah, you know darn well that's an embellishment. Uh, so it, it's 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 something that uh, has to be that uh, that is you plus creativity, you plus data, uh, you embellishment. Plus you know what yeah, I'm saying? Exactly. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. if you were able to actually find my life experience in my writing, I would say that that maybe that meant that I didn't do a very good job of writing. Oh, interesting. Ah, that, wow. That caught me off guard. How good that was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because in our writing, like Bob Dylan said, we contain multitudes, you know, and yeah. that, I, the whole point is that this is Dave Kellett imagining what this character would do, would say, would react. And it's not me. And yet the character is flowing from me, you know? So yeah. it is it is me if I was an alien who grew up with fears of X, Y, Z and now yeah. is on an adventure. And, you know, like, that's not me. That's not who that's not who I am. And yet I'm I'm projecting a, a sliver of my personality into an other that I'm yeah. now bringing to life and breathing life into. And so um, even though you can't read from that character who Dave Kellett is, that character is entirely Dave Kellett. Um, and so it's it's fed with my reactions, with my life experiences, with my data points as I've come along through life. And I feed mm -hmm. uh, with with discretion and with editorial eye. I feed that into the character's life and, and opinions and moods. And so yeah. it is a slice of me, even though it is not all of me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dave, uh, what do you think? Do you want to take one more question for the uh, for the show today? Uh, let's do it, my friend. Let's do it. Yeah, I've got one. This is a little bit self-serving uh, 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 because it came in uh, and it specifically talks about not safe for work comics. But I want to I want to handle it really quickly uh, here. And it is this. Uh, how do you stay fresh with After Dark? As you've said, after a while, it's body part A in a body part B. I doubt you're getting uh, massive inspiration from, uh, you know, from from other things that are out there. Uh, do you read a lot of hentai? Would your web browsing get you arrested in five different countries? Or are you, are you looking at mating rituals for Amazonian dart frogs? <laughs> and Dave has just broken into a sweat. So the, <laughs> so the question is for not safe for work comics, how do you keep the sex fresh? And uh, I, I chose this as our, our closing one. Number one, because God, we need a little bit of happiness in our lives <laughs> and, 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 and making Dave uncomfortable makes me happy. Oh, sure, uh, sure. But also because it's super important and, and uh, because it gets to the heart of uh, what makes uh, not safe for work comics really great, in my opinion, and in and it's in it and it's this. It's not about the body parts uh, at all. It's not about uh, the, the, although that's what the focus uh, becomes uh, uh, on a macro level. It's not about the body parts. It's not about any of this stuff. What it is is what's bringing those people into the room. Yeah. Right. Why are they having sex becomes where the real heat is, where the real, if you forgive me, kink is. OK, that's where the hot is. is that's the spice. Why are they doing that? It's not about, you know, body part A or body part B. It's about the situation. And that's and as soon as I figured that out, I think my work took uh, a big step forward when I realized that for myself, that the hottest thing about a sex scene wasn't necessarily uh, the obvious body parts. It's the way a hand touched a face. 
Right. 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 And when I got that just right, all of a sudden the scene just came alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's that kind of communication, that that physical communication. And also uh, what I saw time and time again, my audience responding to was when a storyline started in Evil Inc., the public facing Evil Inc., and then continued in After Dark, it became a really great scene because they've been following these characters for maybe several pages of storyline. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're, they take a step over into the After Dark uh, storyline, and it became very significant why they were engaged in that. So I, I think the, the my answer, and, I, and there's probably other answers to this question, but my answer to your question, how do you keep the sex fresh? It's all about the emotion. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I'm, I'm so glad that this question asker has asked this question uh, of me, especially because if there's one person in this world who can yeah. advise on how to keep the sex, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm ready to talk the topic. Let's, let's do this. Let's yeah. unroll this. Yeah. So, uh, no, I actually do have a helpful thought about this is yeah. viewing it from 30,000 feet, right? About what uh, this is coming from someone who has never drawn and never will draw a sex scene. But right. If you look at it from a 30,000 feet level, you're basically drawing Ikea instructions. If you look at it from a physical, oh. purely physical level, it's like take a, uh, part 32B, put it into part 32C, you know, then rotate yeah. and add in a different screw. You know, that <laughs> kind of thing. Rotating? Yes, <laughs> you're I'm, rotating? Yes. I'm, I'm being 100% serious. Uh, listen, I've done some I'll stretching. Never, I've done I'll some never, stretching, I'll never, look at my, I'll never look at my Allen wrench the same. <laughs> Let me tell you, yoga is amazing. Uh, so, uh, no, but if you look at it from from a super bird's eye view, it's IKEA instructions. Brad yeah. is right; it's only the emotions of the human existence that make it yes. really uh, intriguing. Because yeah. otherwise, it's it literally is slot A into slot B, and what are the you know all the different ways that that bookshelf can be put together. Right. It, it seems to me like yes, you're 100 percent right that only the emotions, only how they got there. It's why, if for those of you that have seen Severance, why that one tiny little hand touch has yeah. so invested with so much meaning because the characters have been building up to that forever. So a hand yeah. touch means nothing in the average human day. You you right. transact business and you you go to get change from the cashier, you're touching their hand, means absolutely nothing. It's only because of the emotion that it has yeah. any meaning. Am I right, Brad? Like, yes. the, you yes. have to have that buildup of emotion. That's what makes it different. That's what makes it unique. That's what makes it interesting. No, actually, you just you just hit the nail right on the head uh, or or the screw right on the uh, um, on, slot on 32A the, the to 32B. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you did. A, that. That's exactly it. And, and, and I think the quicker if you really want to succeed at not safer work comics, other than the fact that obviously I think your drawing skills have to be, uh, you know, on on point. I think focusing on the emotion really is your best bet. And yep. it, again, uh, focusing on why those people are engaged in that act uh, really is where you find the heat. And uh, listen, I'll just say it. Uh, the reason that these two people right here, Brad and Dave, are engaged in this act is that we love doing Comic Lab and it's time to bring this show to an end because I get to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. I got to tell you, we've also found out today why the little cartoon Ikea guy is always smiling. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. 
It probably also speaks to why I feel so uncomfortable at the end of an Ikea build when I have parts <laughs> left over. I'm like, well, oh boy, this speaks to a whole things in my life that I'm doing wrong. The Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice and do join us there. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. Um, flat pack. What do we got there? Flat pack of uh, wood screws. Um, press board. Pre- press board. Um, cheap, cheap wood. <laughs> cheap wood. Cheap wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, oh. <laughs> cheap wood. Holy Christ. Uh.